Welcome to Lit Reading. I'm Don McDonald. Looking for more information on the podcast? Visit litreading.com. Now please bear with us as we pay the bills. Our story begins shortly. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Lit Reading. I'm Don McDonald. Since the dawn of our species, we have been bewildered by that strange period of altered consciousness that occurs just before, during, and at the end of our daily slumber. Our next tale expressively explores this activity that we all share and which still eludes full understanding. I hope you enjoy The Haunted Mind by Nathaniel Hawthorne. What a singular moment is the first one, when you have hardly begun to recollect yourself after starting from midnight slumber. By unclosing your eyes so suddenly, you seem to have surprised the personages of your dream in full convocation round your bed, and catch one broad glance at them before they can flit into obscurity. Or, to vary the metaphor, you find yourself for a single instant wide awake in that realm of illusions whither sleep has been the passport, and behold its ghostly inhabitants and wondrous scenery with a perception of their strangeness such as you never attain while the dream is undisturbed. The distant sound of a church clock is borne faintly on the wind. You question with yourself, half seriously, whether it has stolen to your waking ear from some gray tower that stood within the precincts of your dream. While yet in suspense, another clock flings its heavy clang over the slumbering town with so full and distinct a sound and such a long murmur in the neighboring air that you are certain it must proceed from the steeple at the nearest corner. You count the strokes. One, two, and there they cease with a booming sound like the gathering of a third stroke within the bell. If you could choose an hour of wakefulness out of the whole night, it would be this. Since your sober bedtime... At eleven, you have had rest enough to take off the pressure of yesterday's fatigue, while before you, till the sun comes from far Cathay to brighten your window, there is almost the space of a summer night, one hour to be spent in thought with the mind's eye half shut, and two in pleasant dreams, and two in that strangest of enjoyments, the forgetfulness alike of joy and woe. The moment of rising belongs to another period of time and appears so distant that the plunge out of a warm bed into the frosty air cannot yet be anticipated with dismay. Yesterday has already vanished among the shadows of the past. Tomorrow has not yet emerged from the future. You have found an intermediate space where the business of life does not intrude, where the passing moment lingers and becomes truly the present, a spot where Father Time, when he thinks nobody is watching him, sits down by the wayside to take breath. Oh, that he would fall asleep and let mortals live on without growing older. 
Hitherto you have lain perfectly still, because the slightest motion would dissipate the fragments of your slumber. Now, being irrevocably awake, you peep through the half-drawn window curtain and observe that the glass is ornamental with fanciful devices in frostwork, and that each pane presents something like a frozen dream. There will be enough time to trace out the analogy while waiting the summons to breakfast. Seen through the clear portion of the glass, where the silvery mountain peaks of the frost scenery do not ascend, the most conspicuous object is the steeple, the white spire of which directs you to the wintry luster of the firmament. You may almost distinguish the figures on the clock that has just told the hour. Such a frosty sky and the snow-covered roofs and the long vista of the frozen street all white and the distant water hardened into rock might make you shiver even under four blankets and a woolen comforter. Yet look at that one glorious star. Its beams are distinguishable from all the rest and actually cast the shadow of the casement on the bed with a radiance of deeper hue than moonlight, though not so accurate an outline. You sink down and muffle your head in the clothes, shivering all the while, but less from bodily chill than the bare idea of a polar atmosphere. It is too cold even for the thoughts to venture abroad. You speculate on the luxury of wearing out a whole existence in bed like an oyster in its shell, content with the sluggish ecstasy of inaction and drowsily conscious of nothing but delicious warmth such as you now feel again. Oh! That idea has brought a hideous one in its train. You think how the dead are lying in their cold shrouds and narrow coffins through the drear winter of the grave, and cannot persuade your fancy that they neither shrink nor shiver when the snow is drifting over their little hillocks and the bitter blast howls against the door of the tomb. That gloomy thought will collect a gloomy multitude and throw its complexion over your wakeful hour. In the depths of every heart there is a tomb and a dungeon though the lights, the music, and revelry above may cause us to forget their existence and the buried ones or prisoners whom they hide. But sometimes, and oftenest at midnight, those dark receptacles are flung wide open. In an hour like this, when the mind has a passive sensibility but no active strength, when the imagination is a mirror imparting vividness to all ideas without the power of selecting or controlling them, then pray that your griefs may slumber and the brotherhood of remorse not break their chain. It is too late. A funeral train comes gliding by your bed in which passion and feeling assume bodily shape and the things of the mind become dim specters to the eye. There is your earliest sorrow. A pale young mourner wearing a sister's likeness to first love, sadly beautiful with a hallowed sweetness in her melancholy features, and a grace in the flow of her sable robe. Next appears a shade of ruined loveliness with dust among her golden hair, and her bright garments all faded and defaced, stealing from your glance with drooping head as fearful of reproach. She was your fondest hope, but a delusive one, so call her disappointment now. A sterner form succeeds with a brow of wrinkles, a look and gesture of iron authority. There is no name for him unless it be fatality. An emblem of the evil influence that rules your fortunes. A demon to whom you subjected yourself by some error at the outset, and were bound his slave forever by once obeying him. 
See those fiendish lineaments graven on the darkness, the writhed lip of scorn, the mockery of that living eye, the pointed finger touching the sole place in your heart. Do you remember any act of enormous folly at which you would blush even in the remotest cavern of the earth? Then recognize your shame. Pass, wretched band. Well for the wakeful one, if riotlessly miserable, a fiercer tribe do not surround him. The devils of a guilty heart that hold its hell within itself. What if remorse should assume the features of an injured friend? What if the friend should come in woman's garments with a pale beauty amid sin and desolation and lie down by your side? What if he should stand at your bed's foot in the likeness of a corpse with a bloody stain upon the shroud? Sufficient without guilt is this nightmare of the soul, this heavy sinking of the spirits, this wintry gloom about the heart, this indistinct horror of the mind blending itself with the darkness of the chamber. By a desperate effort, you stand upright, breaking from a sort of conscious sleep and gazing wildly round the bed as if the fiends were anywhere but in your haunted mind. At the same moment, the slumbering embers on the hearth send forth a gleam which palely illuminates the whole outer room and flickers through the door of the bedchamber, but cannot quite dispel its obscurity. Your eye searches for whatever may remind you of the living world. With eager minuteness, you take note of the table near the fireplace, the book with an ivory knife between its leaves, the unfolded letter, the hat, and the fallen glove. Soon the flame vanishes, and with it the whole scene is gone, though its image remains an instant in your mind's eye when the darkness has swallowed the reality. Throughout the chamber, there is the same obscurity as before, but not the same gloom within your breast. As your head falls back upon the pillow, you think, in a whisper be it spoken, how pleasant in these night solitudes would be the rise and fall of a softer breathing than your own, the slight pressure of a tenderer bosom, the quiet throb of a purer heart, imparting its peacefulness to your troubled one, as if the fond sleeper were involving you in her dream. Her influence is over you, though she have no existence but in that momentary image. You sink down in a flowery spot on the borders of sleep and wakefulness, while your thoughts rise before you in pictures, all disconnected, yet all assimilated by pervading gladsomeness and beauty. The wheeling of gorgeous squadrons that glitter in the sun is succeeded by the merriment of children round the door of a schoolhouse beneath the glimmering shadow of old trees at the corner of a rustic lane. You stand in the sunny sun of a summer shower and wander among the sunny trees of an autumnal wood and look upward at the brightest of all rainbows overarching the unbroken sheet of snow on the American side of Niagara. Your mind struggles pleasantly between the dancing radiance round the hearth of a young man and his recent bride and the twittering flight of birds in spring about their new-made nest. You feel the merry bounding of a ship before the breeze and watch the tuneful feet of rosy girls as they twine their last and merriest dance in a splendid ballroom and find yourself in the brilliant circle of a crowded theater as the curtain falls over a light and airy scene. 
With an involuntary start, you seize hold on consciousness and prove yourself but half awake by running a doubtful parallel between human life and the hour which has now elapsed. In both, you emerge from mystery, pass through the vicissitude that you can but imperfectly control, and are borne onward to another mystery. Now comes the peal of a distant clock, with fainter and fainter strokes as you plunge farther into the wilderness of sleep. It is the knell of a temporary death. Your spirit has departed, and strays like a free citizen among the people of a shadowy world, beholding strange sights, yet without wonder or dismay. So calm, perhaps, will be the final change. So undisturbed, as if among familiar things, the entrance of the soul to its eternal home. The haunted mind delves more deeply into our souls than the topic of sleep would imply. Its author, Nathaniel Hawthorne, was one of the young United States' most brilliant fiction writers. Even today, his tales retain as much power as they had almost two centuries ago. His most famous novels were published at the dawn of the 1850s, The Scarlet Letter and The House of the Seven Gables. Thanks again for listening to the podcast, and I'm going to ask a couple of favors of you again. One, please share the stories on your social media accounts. I don't see anybody sharing them. I've looked. But if you do, it helps build the audience and uh, helps me maybe someday make a couple of bucks off of these. <laughs> Not many, but a couple. And uh, if you really do like what you hear, please leave a review at Apple Podcasts. That's the big review site. You can also rate the podcast on Spotify. Thank you again for listening. Tell your friends about Lit Reading Podcasts, the stories that we share. And uh, if you have any great public domain stories that you would like me to read, they must be in the public domain, which means they're written before 1926. Uh, I'd love to hear your ideas. Just go to litreading.com. And once again, thanks for being there. I'm Don McDonald.